سلامنا على بعده الذي نصطفى أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والله يرزق من يشاء بغير حساب صدق الله العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم So this week we are on Ar-Razaq So Ar-Razaq means the sustainer or the provider And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran that wallahu yarzuqu man yasha bi ghayri hisab that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides he sustains whoever he wishes without any account meaning that there is no restricting the provision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives sustenance to everything insan you know the trees the crops animals insects everything the sustenance is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is something that our yaqeen of this our conviction of this is really lacking it's really lacking. The fact of the matter is that our risk has been written for us. So we will not die until we have eaten our last and drank our last. That's it. My teachers used to say that the only, the only visas of life or the only passports of life is risk and death. That's it. So if your risk is written somewhere, meaning if food or, or if provisions are written for you in a certain place, then you will be there. And that's it. That or death. If death is written for you at a certain place, then you will be there. Aside from that, that's actually what takes us everywhere we go. So sometimes, you know, a, a student would leave the madrasa, for example, and uh, people would say, oh, you know, he got, he got sick, his family, someone his family was sick, someone died, he wanted to go to a different school, he didn't feel like doing this anymore. One of my teachers said, no, none of, all of those are just excuses. The real fact is, Allah Ta'ala wrote his sustenance somewhere else. That's it. His sustenance, his provision was written at another place, and so he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took him there. So you will go wherever Allah ta'ala has meant your provision to be. Or wherever your death is meant to be. So regarding death, inshallah maybe another time we'll do that. <clears throat> but your sustenance wherever is written for you. And you'll find, like one of my teachers, he said that they went, um, they went to Egypt one year in Ramadan to give da'wah. And they were going to spend all of Ramadan in, in Egypt that year. They left South Africa, they were fasting. And they arrived in Egypt, and this was right around when all the Arab Spring and all that stuff was happening, and the, the whole, you know, Egypt had just launched into chaos, like right before that moment. Uh, so when they arrived at the airport, customs didn't let them leave. Not for any, not because they were a threat or something, but because, you know, they didn't want something crazy to happen. And now you have civilian citizens from another country who have died or been injured or something, and then it becomes an international incident. So... Customs said that no, it's not safe enough for you to enter the country, so you have to go back because it was chaos at that, at that moment, right? And so my teacher said that we left fasting, we arrived, we were fasting, and we left before iftar time came in. So our risk was just not meant for us in Egypt. Not one drop of water was meant for us in Egypt, and so we left. We ended up breaking our fast on the plane. And this is the reality. Everywhere that you go, it is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meant your risk to be there. Everything else is just a means or an excuse that takes us around from place to place. And what we have to understand is also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, يَرْزُقُ مَنْ يَشَاءَ That there's no restricting the sustenance of Allah. Who are we to say that Allah ta'ala would not be able to provide for us? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can provide. He provides for everything. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, وَمَا مِن دَابَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ that there is not any creature in the earth except that the responsibility of sustaining it is on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you look around. I was with one of my teachers once and we had stopped in San Diego. We were taking a drive down to San Diego and we stopped on the way and we're standing at this uh, ledge, right? Like on the side of the highway. You know, they have these sightseeing lookout points. So we stopped there and there's a hill and there's all these bushes and trees and you see little squirrels running around and they're picking up whatever it is, they're picking up nuts and this and that, and they're eating it. And he said, look, Allah Ta'ala feeds these things. He feeds these things out of nowhere. Would Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala not feed us also? Like these creatures who are so insignificant, you know, their accountability of, of creatures, of animals, will not even be taken by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. There's no Jannah, Jahannam, punishment, reward for these creatures. So if that is the case for them, then, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala still feeds them, would He not feed us also? when we recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we are the best of His creation, would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not feed us? So we don't have to worry about where our risk will come from, but we do have to make effort. We do have to make effort. And if we reach some of those extreme high levels, like Maryam alayhi uh, that she was sitting in her mihrab, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes in Surah Maryam, uh, or Surah Maryam or Surah Al-Imran, that she's sitting in her mihrab and... Her uncle used to come into her and see, he used to come to her room and see that in winter she's eating fruits of summer and in summer she's eating fruits of winter. And he said, where is this coming from? She said, it's easy for Allah Ta'ala, He can give it to me. So unless you reach those high levels, then you have to keep making effort, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so what about people who like around the world that die of hunger or kind of, just like putting that point, I don't want to... Yeah, no, that's a good question. So the, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala's sustenance is there for us and... It is upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us. Right now, I don't, I don't buy into the concept that the world will run out of resources. The world will not run out of resources for us. Resources might become restricted on an individual level, like you're describing. They might become restricted, famine, drought, all of that happens, and it's not contrary to these verses. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, sometimes He tests us with these things, sometimes we sin and we... We displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he puts this famine and these types of things. The time of Umar radiallahu there was famine in Medina Munawwara. They had not displeased Allah. Umar radiallahu it said he was so just that when he, there was an earthquake and he stomped his foot on the ground, he said, why are you shaking when you know I'm just? Right? And he was the ruler at the time. So there was complete justice, but there was still a famine in Medina Munawwara. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might restrict it for a time, but, or from you know, certain people for various reasons, but it doesn't mean that he is not able to provide for them. You know what I mean? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives, he says, Wallahu yarzuqu yasha, that he gives to whoever he wishes. And so he will have more for certain people, less for certain people. But the world will not run out of resources entirely. Right? Maybe there will be a drought, maybe there will be famine, maybe water will get less, maybe certain crops, maybe certain fruits will completely go away. And we won't have any seeds for them and they won't be able to grow anymore. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still within Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power that He provides. And He says that He provides for all the animals. Another, now there's so many different verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about His sustaining people. And one is in Surah Talaq. And the reason this verse comes in Surah Talaq, right, regarding the chapter of divorce, is because, especially at that time when the women were not independently, usually they were not independently earning. So if a woman was divorced, it would become more difficult for them. The idea might come into her mind that where am I going to, how am I going to provide for myself now? 
right? And even now, even though women are working and whatnot, oftentimes, right, it's not, it's not every single woman, right? Or there's other factors that maybe stop her, make it difficult, whatever it may be. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا That whoever fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whoever has taqwa of Allah, then Allah ta'ala will make a way out for them. وَيَرْزُقُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبْ And whoever, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide for them uh, uh, from places that they could not have perceived. So Allah Ta'ala will provide for you. If you have taqwa, then He will give you and you would, from such places that you wouldn't even have thought of. وَمَن يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبُ And whoever has tawakkul, whoever has trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah Ta'ala will suffice him. إِنَّ اللَّهَ بَالِغُ أَمْرِي And indeed, the affair of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be reached. But جَعَلَ اللَّهُ لِكُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدَرًا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set a measure for everything. So regarding people who might die out of hunger, for regarding famine, regarding drought, these types of things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a plan, He has an objective. And mo- all of, most of these things will always come in the form of tests. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, He's promising us that He's going to test us with these things. With what? He will test us with fear. And He will test us with hunger. And He will test us with loss of wealth. And He will test us with the different fruits. So He's promising us that our tests will come, right? And loss of life. That our tests will definitely come from one of these sources. So it shouldn't come as a surprise when we are tested. But know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the provider. So we have to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in providing. And He says in this verse of Surah Talaq that don't worry, even when times get difficult, have taqwa with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, trust in Allah. And have patience, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide you. It's interesting that some of you guys might have even had these discussions with your parents before. Sometimes people want to get married, and they'll say, you know, what's, what's the, especially at, you know, 20, 21, 22, 23 sometimes, what happens? Parents oftentimes will say, well, how are you going to provide? How are you going to provide for your wife? You get married, now how are you going to provide? It's written right there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, he's the one that's going to provide, you know? Uh, I got married when I was in my, I was still studying in madrasa, okay, and I had about, I got married when I had a year and a half left, uh, and so people asked me when I, when, you know, we engage, started engaging in talks and stuff like that, then people asked, well, you know, if they, uh, if your wife's family, or if this girl's family wants to wait until after you finish your studies, what are you going to do? I said, yeah, that's obviously, that's their right, you know, like, as a parent, when you're, especially you're giving your daughter away, you you want to know she's going to be taken care of. So it's completely understandable if they say, well, we want to wait till you have a job. I said, but then, you know, we won't do the engagement and we'll just look elsewhere. They said, well, you know, what if, um, and if you do get married, then you're still, and you're still studying, how are you going to provide when you don't have a job? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he will provide. What happened? We got married and with enough, we got so much money in gifts that it lasted us Almost two years. It lasts us almost two years. <laughs> I mean, subhanAllah. And my family, they, 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 gave a, they gave us a little bit, you know, but not very much. That's how much money came with, with the gifts. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said that He will provide. So we went to South Africa. Yeah, the standard of living is a lot less there. I budgeted for about $1,000 a month, okay? With exchange rate and everything, $1,000 a month. So I figured, okay, we have this much money. This should last us. You know, about we have about 16 months left, 17 months left. We should be able to go a little bit longer than that. 
We, I never watched what I spent. We, I would go out to eat almost every single weekend. We'd go out for coffee regularly throughout the week. Um, we went on vacation within South Africa. We went for Umrah during that time. We did whatever we wanted to do. We, then at the end of it, we even went to... My, like my car had all kinds of problems. I was getting... Literally every two to three weeks, it was going to the shop to get fixed. I spent $1,000 on the car in repairs throughout that time. At the end of that 16 months that I had planned for, we decided to go to Zambia for two to three months. And I remember just towards the end being in Zambia, I put my debit card in and it, there wasn't enough funds. So at the end of like 20 months, when I had figured, okay, this money should last me maybe 15 months or so, at the end of 20 to 21 months is finally when it was like, oh, now there's not enough. And Zambia, you know, we were, because of the circumstances and whatnot, we were actually staying separately because we couldn't find a place together and that's another story. Anyway, um, so expenses were very minimal in Zambia, extremely minimal in Zambia. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was the one that he provided it. We didn't have to, you know, be dependent on our parents and whatnot. And we spent so much more than what we had planned for. We didn't plan on going for Umrah. We didn't plan on all these vacations and, you know, this and that. But subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He provided. And that's what it is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the provider. And so, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, or Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, He says that this sustaining is of two types. Sustaining is of two types. There's the outward, and this consists of nourishment and food of the body. And then there is the inward. And this is in matters of revelation, matters pertaining to the heart and the soul. And the inward sustenance is the higher of the two. Because the outward, it gives strength to our body for a short period of time. And now, no matter how much we have, at the end, eventually our bodies will fail, right? Our bodies will die despite having such, such good nourishment. Nobody escapes death. But our soul, our soul lives on forever. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimullah, he was asked... Um, he was asked that what he would do, his tartib, his normal habit was that every morning he would go out off into the desert and he would sit and make dhikr for a long time. And so the people asked him that, why do you do this? Now Ibn Taymiyyah rahimullah was a great scholar and he was, they would ask him that, you know, you already have achieved all this greatness in your knowledge and your taqwa and whatnot. Why do you go out and make dhikr so long? What do we say? Our dhikr is our salah, and we feel very proud of ourselves. On top of this, he used to go out and make his dhikr out in the desert. He would sit, and he would do whatever dhikr he used to do. He said that just as if you don't eat, your body will die. If I don't do this, my soul will die. Now, obviously, the soul is not actually going to die, right? Even people who are the most bereft of dhikr, the soul will not die. But in a sense, it is a spiritual death. So what will sustain us? What is the sustenance of our soul? It is the dhikr and the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I don't remember the verse exactly right now, but so many times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's one verse where he talks about right, the qanitin and the qanitat, right, the sa'imin and the sa'imat. He talks about those men and women who fast a lot, who obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, very closely, who give a lot of sadaqah, uh, who do so much good, right, and a lot, and, and they do all this thing, they're completely obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَذَّاكِرِينَ وَذَّاكِرَاتِ Dhikran kathira. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and those who make dhikr in abundance. So all the other things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, those who fast and those who pray and those who are obedient and those who have taqwa, He didn't mention the quality, the attribute of doing it in abundance. But when He mentions dhikr, He mentions those who make dhikr in abundance. That's the only uh, act of obedience where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala connected to it, kathir, meaning to do it in abundance. And the reason for it is because it provides that nourishment to our heart and provides that nourishment to our soul. 
So Imam Ghazali, he says that the share in this is twofold. The share in this um, sustenance or this uh, risk is uh, twofold. He says that one is to rely, this inward sustenance, one is to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for sustenance completely. Meaning that we completely rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This doesn't mean we don't work. This doesn't mean we don't make effort. But that our work and our jobs is a means for the sustenance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah ta'ala doesn't want us to just sit around. That's not the nidham. That's not the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's one narration regarding Musa alayhisam that he got sick and he went, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, what, what can I do? I'm sick. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, go to this tree and take the leaves from this tree, shake the tree and whatever else, take the leaves, take the fruits, whatever it may be, and consume it in a certain manner. So Musa alayhisam does this and he becomes better. He gets cured. Then some time passes, he gets sick again. He goes straight to that tree and he does the same thing he did before. However, he doesn't get cured this time. And so he tells Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, last time this cured me, why did it not cure me now? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Because last time you were dependent upon me. You put your trust in me and you turned to me. And the tree was the means. This time you turned straight to the tree. So what does this tell us? This tells us that we use the means around us. We use the means around us, we make effort, but ultimately we put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that actually gives us that sustenance. And He's the one that makes everything happen. Then Imam Ghazali, he brings an example. He says that to tell us how much control or the order of the risk of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to understand that, that there was once a man by the name of Hatim who was asked... Where do you eat from? Somebody came and asked him, where do you eat from? He said, I eat from the storehouse of Allah. So that questioner says, what, does Allah Ta'ala hand it to you from the heaven? He says, well, if the earth was not Allah's, then he would have had to hand it to me from the heavens. But the earth belongs to Allah, so Allah Ta'ala gives me from wherever He gives me. Right? Now there's an interesting point. Um, there's two verses in the Qur'an. Where, what was happening in the time of Jahiliyyah? I don't know if I should write these verses on the board, but uh, what was happening in the time of Jahiliyyah? People were burying their daughters alive, right? They were burying, should I write on this side or this side? Doesn't matter? The right side. side. <laughs> you guys can see it from here? Okay. So the, the, the Quraysh and the Arabs in, in Mecca and whatnot, they were um, burying their daughters alive. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals two verses. Do not la taqtulu awladakum Do not kill your children khashyata imlaq khashyata imlaq do not kill your children fearing poverty. And then he says, Nahnu Narzukuhum. Iyakum, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do not kill your children fearing poverty. Uh, or sorry, do not kill your yeah. Do not kill your children, fearing poverty. Did I do that right? Yeah. Um, we will provide for them, and we will provide for you. He reveals another verse 
which looks almost the same. Except in the second verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Min imlaq. Second verse, so the second verse is the same up to here. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, instead of saying, Khashyata imlaq, He says, Min imlaq. And then He says, Nahnu Narzuku Kum. So what's the difference here? The first verse says, Do not kill your children, fearing poverty. We will provide for them and we'll provide for you. Second verse, he says, Do not fear, kill your children out of poverty. We will provide for you and for them. So the difference here, if you notice, this narzukukum and narzukuhum. This is reversed. Right? The hum, which means them, comes first in this verse. And kum comes second. Kum means you. It's reversed, right? You guys understand that? So Ibn Kathir, he mentions that the difference, he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't just give these, he doesn't just order verses randomly. He doesn't say things randomly in the Quran. There's a specific reason to the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala words things, typically. So he says, what's the difference here? The difference is that in the first verse, لَا أَوْلَادَكُمْ Fearing poverty. This is those parents who are not in a state of poverty. They are not experiencing poverty currently, but they fear that if I have children, I will go into poverty and I will not be able, able to provide for them. So because of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Hum, referring to the, the awlad, the children, that we will provide for them and we will also provide for you. He makes the priority in this verse, the children, because he mentions home first. And in this verse, the second verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not kill your children out of poverty. Meaning in this verse, the second one, they're already in a state of poverty. They're thinking, I will not be able to provide, I can't provide for myself right now. How am I going to provide for my children? Because I'm already in poverty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you're already in poverty, don't worry. We will provide for you and then we will also provide for them. So he flips the, uh, the, he flip, he flips the order here because in the first verse, they're worried that we will, not, we will not be able to provide for our children. So Allah Ta'ala puts the emphasis on the children by bringing them first. In this verse, they're already in poverty. They already can't pr provide for themselves. So Allah Ta'ala puts the emphasis on the parents themselves. Right? This wasn't the only reason why they were burying their daughters alive. But that's a different discussion. You guys understand this? So Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala brings these nuances. This is why Arabic is beautiful. Everybody should seek to try to learn Arabic. But He brings these, these nuances in order to tell us that, look, both of these cases, it's easy for Allah. Whether you're in poverty, whether you're fearing poverty, it doesn't matter. Allah Ta'ala is the one that provides. He will provide for you. So don't worry. Don't kill your children. Don't, don't go towards evil and wrong and harm uh, uh, because you are afraid of your risk. Going back to the marriage topic, some of your parents might get angry with me, but <laughs> if you should not stop... If, if not getting married is going to result in sinning, then your rizq is not a reason to not get married. Right? Obviously, there's other things involved, which is maturity and these types of things, priorities. Right? But if rizq is the only thing, if providing is the only thing that's going to stop you, is the only thing stopping you from getting married, and you are mature enough, and it is the right person, all of these things, and you are going to go into sin as a result of not being married, then don't let rizq stop you. Because rizq comes and goes. Right? Risk, it comes and goes. There's people, they make millions and billions and then they lose it all overnight. I remember 
I think I shared this example once before. Years ago, when the economy started going down, there was an individual in California. He had a whole compound to himself. Forget a house. He had a whole compound. And in one morning, you know, the police went in and they found that he is he's dead, his wife is dead, his children are dead. So what happened? He got so depressed because he lost half his wealth virtually overnight that he said, my, I, can't, I can't live and I can't let my children live in such a world. So he killed them, killed his wife and himself. He lost, he lost half his wealth. But when they looked at how much money he had, he still had $10 million. So he was worth $20 million. He lost $10 million overnight, went into depression. Money comes and goes. Whether you are working and a millionaire or not, money comes and goes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that gives. And so we have to put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Right. Right. And so they will like actually kill their kids because they right. don't want to see their kids die out of starvation. So is that mean like they're sinning? Yeah. Because see that's that's along the same lines as suicide. Suicide is haram, it's forbidden, prohibited, it's sinful. The reason is because you are taking matter you are taking your life or the life of someone else in the example that you've given. Uh, into your own hands. You are saying, I will determine when life ends. And this is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why it is a sin. And it happens here too, right? People will, they might not kill their children, but what happens, they'll go and leave their kids in a dumpster, right? Their newborns in a dumpster or something like that. These types of things happen. And so, um, killing them out of fear that they're going to die of starvation, that's, that is sinful because... As we mentioned, Allah subhanahu, ta- Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that gives sustenance. And we have to remember that our time of death is written for us. That time that we will die is written for us. So no matter what happens, if we are not meant to die, we will not die. You know, I, there was, uh, you guys have heard of the, like TED Talks and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. TED Talks, right? There was one I watched some time ago where there was an individual. Uh, he was a Muslim guy and it was right after 9-11 working at 7-11 a man came in and shot him in the face. He got shot in the face, just over the counter. And he went blind. The bullet went through his face and his eye, but he survived. Because Allah Ta'ala had not written his death for him at that point. So if we say, no, I don't want to see them die out of starvation. If you don't kill them, and that time is meant for them to die anyway, then that death will come to them at exactly that moment. Right? So you cannot take life into your own hands. Right, in these types of situations. The only time it is permissible to take life is for a just cause, right? Like defend, defense against oppression um, or, you know, uh, consequences for individuals who are, you know, I don't know, maybe like murderers and these types of things, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about taking life uh, that is impermissible except for a just cause. So this is like through the courts, right? The death penalty and these types of things. Yeah. So can Allah choose to change the time to death time because when someone kills someone then no, it doesn't change. Death, the time of death doesn't change. It is even mentioned that, uh, for example, the, the angel of death, it came into Musa and it asked him, you guys might have heard the story, it asked him, uh, it told him, I am the angel of death, or I am death. 
uh, and I've come to you. And Musa Islam punched him in the face <laughs> and it knocked out his eye. <laughs> okay? Um, and so the angel of death became angry, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, he, he cooled it, cooled him. Um, the question then comes is, well, if the angel of death came to take Musa Islam's life, then that means Musa Islam avoided his death. No. Allah ta'ala sent the angel of death to seek permission for him. And the fact is that it was not written that Musa Islam was going to die at that moment. Right? So death only comes to you when it is written for you. That's it. Sorry, I'm just so confused. So that, then if someone kills someone else, does, does that mean that's the reason for that person to be dead at that time? That, is that the death time? Because if you take... that, that was the time written, that was the time of death that was written for that individual. The sin is that this killing somebody is sinful. And this person, you know, jumped in the middle and did something that they were not supposed to do. However, so that person, the killer, became the means... However, had that person not been there, the victim would have still died. Maybe for another reason or something, right? There was even a, a case some years ago. Construction worker fell seven stories off of a building they were working on, and he survived. He got up, and everyone was so happy and amazed, and he said, you know, this is my lucky day. I'm going to go. Let's go buy drinks for everyone. Drinks on me. And as he's crossing the street, he gets hit by a car, and he dies. Wow. You know? <laughs> that falling off the building, that wasn't what was supposed to kill him. What was supposed to kill him was... <laughs> a few moments later when he tried to cross the street, you know? Yeah. What about, like, let's say one of your family members is really sick in the hospital, about to die, and then, you know, you make, like, heavy hardcore dua, they ask Allah that, you know, he spares his life for, like, another, like, two or three years, and then, you know, he actually heals and not doesn't die. Is that kind of the same thing, or is it like... Sort of. D- death, death was not written for that individual. That's why when somebody's sick in the hospital, uh, we should say, we should make dua that, Ya Allah, if you have... If if this is their time of death, then make it easy for them. Forgive them, make it easy for them. And if this is not the time of their death, then cure them and, you know, grant them goodness and cure them and this and that, you know. Because sometimes people, if we, yeah, I mean, basically, that's that's how we should make dua. Yeah. So, what I heard was, was that uh, Allah knows the time of everyone's death, Yeah. but the angels don't necessarily know. Right. So, sometimes the angel of death will start coming towards someone, and some dua will be made, and the, the time of death, the angel knows will be changed, however, in the, uh, in the sacred tablet, it was already recorded long before. Um, so, the angel of death visits every person three times a day, that we know from hadith. Every day, the angel of death visits us three times a day, and that's why it's, it's scary, right? So, what happens is the angel of death visits us. And he asks, we have angels that sit with us, right, on each shoulder. And the angel of death asks them, that is it, there, is it this individual's time? Some narrations report this, that it, is it, is it uh, or some ulama have said this, that they ask, he asks the angels that are with the person. Other reports indicate that there is a time of the year, uh, one night in the year, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the scriptures of, like he gives a list basically to the angel of death saying that in this following year these are the lives of everybody that these are the people whose lives you will take throughout this year neither of those things as far as I know are absolute like proven um, these are just some some narrations indicate to this and some of the ulama have s- said these things but yeah the time of death the time of death is written and that doesn't change so yeah. are, aren't there uh, different layers of color like, like there's a lobul mahfud and then yeah and then there's like a yearly cutter and a weekly cutter and a daily cutter. How does that work? Um, 
Yeah, so so it, it, there is a narration that says that du'a can change your taqdeer, it can change your fate. So some things can change through du'a. Um, qadr means like fate, right? <laughs> so uh, some du'a can change fate, um, but things like your how much risk you're going to get, and as far as I know, the amount of sustenance and food that you will intake throughout your life, um, and and the time of your death are things that don't change, as far as I know. Right, so, <clears throat> okay, moving on. So, Rasulullah or Imam Uzayi, rahimullah, he says that, um, he mentioned that these things are twofold. One is to rely on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for sustenance only, to put all our trust on Allah. And the second is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He grants knowledge to an individual in, so that they might be able to give guidance, uh, speech to bear witness, uh, uh, be able, and to teach hands to distribute sadaqah these types of things basically what happens is he gives he endows an individual with enough sustenance spiritual sustenance that they, became, they become a means of sustenance for someone else and they become uh, a, a cause of higher sustenance which is to change the hearts to guide the hearts of individuals by words and by deeds and that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves someone that he makes the world around them, more needy of that individual. When Allah Ta'ala loves somebody, He makes others more dependent upon Him, upon that individual, and that they need Him more, particularly in terms of knowledge. It could also mean in, in worldly affairs, but Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala gives materialistically to even those that He does not love. Everybody, Allah Ta'ala will give to everybody. But when it comes to knowledge and wisdom and being able to guide people, this, this type of knowledge and sustenance Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala gives to those that He loves. And then through that, those individuals are able to guide others around them. <coughs> Ali radiallahu we'll kind of skip ahead here. Ali radiallahu he said that providing sustenance is the responsibility of Allah. And our responsibility is to beg for paradise. And we are enjoined to strive to be worthy of entering that paradise. But in the end, Allah will ask why a person forsook the doing of what he was enjoined to do and did what he was enjoined to forsake. Meaning our responsibility is to do good and beg for paradise. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's responsibility is to provide for us. Yet we switch it around. We forsake the asking of paradise and we forsake the doing of good that will get us the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we go after our sustenance. So in the end, the way we have lived our life, it is as though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would ask us that you went after and endeavored after what I took responsibility for. And you left out what your responsibility was. So uh, Ali Radinano is saying basically how foolish people are. That we shouldn't be so concerned with our risk and sustenance that it takes over our life. And that's why you'll find people, sometimes you speak to people about studying, about bettering themselves. And they'll say, you know, I want to go learn, but I just want to get my dunya sorted out. I just want to get my, you know, these things sorted out. I want to get it sorted out with, you know, you know I just want a house and I just want to get married. The basics. Those aren't the basics, <laughs> especially owning a house. That's not a basic. If we, if we go after the dunya, we will never be satisfied and, and we will never come, be able to come around to what our responsibilities are and, and trying to strive for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, when people are dying, you know, there's a lot of emphasis in preparation of death. But some people, not even when they're dying, but their idea of preparing for death is to make a will. And although a will and a wasiya bequest is very important, we should have our assets taken care of. But that's not the only aspect of preparing for death. 
Preparing for death comes also, the, the more important thing is our taqwa. How have we prepared our deeds for our death? So this is the type of sustenance that we have to go after. And then uh, it is mentioned, the ulama mentioned that Dawood he used to beseech Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that, Oh Allah, you are the one that provides for the young crow in its nest. It comes out of its egg looking white as a piece of fat. So apparently a crow when it's born, when it hatches from its nest, it's not black. It's just like this white piece of fat that it looks like. Its parents see it and they don't recognize it, so they leave it. You make the insects go in the direction of this new crow and you feed it until its feathers sprout and it starts looking like a crow and then its parents recognize it and then they come back to feed it. So Dawood would beseech Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Ya Allah, the, the parents of this bird leave it and you send the insects to it when it has no way of providing for itself. So you provide for that, also provide for us. And then the hadith of Rasulullah which is greatly uh, misunderstood by a lot of people, that he said, That if you were to trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His due, trust in Him, the amount that He is due, then He would definitely provide for you as He provides for the, the birds. That they leave in the morning empty with empty stomachs and they return with full stomachs. This doesn't mean that we don't do anything. Because when the birds go out, they are searching for food. So they are putting in effort. This hadith is not meant for us to think that we don't have to work and we don't have to do anything. We just engage in our ibadah. For the search of risk is also ibadah. So going to school so that we can have a good job, working hard at our jobs, even climbing up the corporate ladder. With the intention that we are providing for our families, this is also ibadah. This is also an act of worship. So it should not be misunderstood. <clears throat> I wanted to go into Al-Fatah. But it's 5.15. What do you guys think? It's also a lot of time, yeah. It just came in. Can you leave it for next week? One more question. Yeah. Okay, so uh, in your second segment, uh, when you're saying that uh, if, if you are going to commit a sin, but uh, and you have no risk, you can still get married or something like that. Was that saying like, uh, if I have no money, but like I'm in fear of committing zina, that I could just marry someone? Yeah, you should. You should look to get married. That doesn't mean you just marry any random person. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, you shouldn't let the lack of sustenance, like the lack of job, to uh, be a barrier in you getting married. Right? And there's more factors than this too. Sometimes people think, oh, I just want to protect myself from sinning, um, and so I'll just get married. There's more factors. Like you have to make sure you choose the right person. You have to try to be mature enough yourself. Uh, but sustenance, if everything else is in order, then sustenance should not be what stops you. Because if you're not mature enough, or you pick the wrong person, then it's going to be very difficult. And even that difficulty can then lead you further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do you know you picked the wrong person? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, typically what happens, people don't, they don't base it off of the right reasons, you know. We don't, when, when we don't go about looking for a person the right way, if we, you know, like sometimes I get calls from people, literally I got a call from one person at one time, and they said, do you know such and such individual? He was known in the community, uh, had like a restaurant and stuff. I said, yeah, I know him. He said, okay, uh, do you know his last name? I said, no, I don't know his last name. Why, you guys want to use him to cater or something like that? 
No, no, I was just curious. So it just occurred to me, and I said, well, are you trying to, don't tell me you're trying to find his daughter on Facebook or something. He's like, well, yeah, how'd you know? I was like, come on, man, like, that's not, Facebook is not the means that you get to know an individual, you know? We should go through other sources, we should go through our parents, we should go through a friend, we should do things the way it's meant to be, because if we don't, it will take barakah away from the relationship. It will take barakah away from the relationship. And we think what happens a lot of times, uh, people will say, oh, you know, but such and such individual, you know, he or she uh, makes my iman better, strengthens my iman. That's great if you feel that way, but if you're doing the wrong thing, if you're going to places you're not supposed to be going, if you're hanging out with them, you know, just as friends and, you know, just to get to know each other, like, be honest with yourself. You know what's going on. That is not what's going to put barakah into the relationship, and then you're going to be blind. You're going to be blind, and you're going to make things work, that, no, no, this person is right for me, and this and that. We have to go about it the right way. What is the right way, by the way? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> you, should, you should go through, go through your parents, um, go through the other person's parents, or go through another person in the community. Don't uh, communicate with the individual directly, right, at first. Okay? Then once the parents are involved, you can say, okay, you know, the parents know, um, now we want to get to know each other. Still, you should avoid, shouldn't be hanging out alone. Um, my wife and I, we never hung out alone. Okay, she was in a different state. But we emailed each other, and her parents saw every single email. They read every single email between the two of us. We never had chit-chat. Oh, how are you doing? How is your day? What's your favorite color? Who cares what your favorite color is? Really, that's not what makes a marriage. You know what I mean? Um, and so, no, seriously, people will say these things. Like, oh, what's your favorite food? And... Food, man, you can sort that out later. <laughs> you know, you're hungry, you're going to eat what's there. But, you know, having, a lot of times people will say, what's, you know, um, I want somebody that makes me better in religion. That's great, that's beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. But then when you tell them that, you know, this person's not very, really religious minded, well, they won't stop me, so that's in a way making me better in my religion. I've had these conversations with people, like I'm giving you actual <laughs> experiences, right? Somebody told my wife after we got engaged, we got engaged, and we, so we sent... I was in South Africa, our parents talked, we, our families met, and then uh, through, with the permission of her father, I said, you know, can, I, can we email because I'm going to be in South Africa? So they said, yeah, they saw every email. We emailed back and forth. I said, look, these are the things that are important to me. What do you think? She responded saying, yes, these things are important to me, uh, and this is the answer to your question. What do you think? And it was just that, no chit-chat, nothing. Then once we decided that, okay, I think, you know, we want to move forward. We stopped communicating to each other. So we got engaged in, we, sent, we, we met in like August or something like that. We sent four or five emails between each other until December. No text messages, no phone calls, nothing. And we, then in January, we got engaged and we didn't talk until we, until we got married, until our nikah was done. We did not talk, right? People actually told her, what, you're not texting? This is the best part of marriage. We're not even married and people are saying this is the best part of marriage. You know, because there's certain things, yes, getting to know each other is exciting, but you should, if you save that for after you're married, it's going to be a much more beautiful thing because now you're married to this individual. When you're not together, right, and you're calling each other all the time, it'll be great for several months, but then what's going to happen? One person has a bad day. The other person doesn't know what's going on. The one who had a bad day snaps at the other one. Now they start rethinking everything. Oh, maybe this is not the right person and this and that. When you're just having a bad day, you know? There's certain guidelines that we have to, we have to try and go by. 
Right? So when we prioritize properly and we base it off of the things that Rasulullah said to base it, off of, base it off of, making religion the priority, then there will be barakah and these types of things. Right? So then going back to your question, when if a person is mature enough and this individual looks, we make our istikhara, we make mashwara uh, with our parents, with people who know the individual we're considering, making istikhara and whatnot, then when we move forward, you know, then we can say, okay, I made istikhara, I made mashwara, I prioritized the things that are important to me and the things that Rasulullah has said to prioritize. Okay, now we're moving forward. You know what I mean? Uh, at that moment, don't let risk be a factor that, oh, I don't have a job right now. It's understandable if, especially, it's understandable if one side says, well, you know, uh, you can't provide right now, so we're not comfortable in giving our daughter to you or whatever. That's, that's understandable. There's, you know, like that's not, you can't hold somebody, you can't get mad at a person for, for that. But oftentimes the parents might be okay with it, you know, and we shouldn't think ourselves. Otherwise people, literally people wait till they're 35 to get married, you know, because they can't afford a $30,000 wedding hall, like <laughs> literally. And uh, there's even a narration where somebody said to Rasulullah that they need to get married, but they don't have money. Rasulullah told them that go and get married, Allah Ta'ala will increase your risk. And what happens regarding these verses about don't kill your children? Every single child that Allah Ta'ala brings to you is free money. They come with their own risk. We can understand it very easily now. You get a tax break when you have a child, <laughs> right? They get, the government gives you like $1,000 for that, something like that. But even beyond that, that's, it's not limited to that. That's just what we can tangibly see. But every child comes with their own risk and their own sustenance. So that's why even when it comes to like birth control and these types of things, we're going on all crazy tangents, but when it comes to these types of things, you cannot use birth control when it comes to if you say that I don't have enough money to take care of the child. But if, you, if you're engaging in some type of birth control because you say, no, we just want to get to know each other after we're married and whatnot, that's okay. That's fine. But if you're doing it because, no, I can't provide, you know, then that becomes problematic. Understand the difference? Right? So we should never be worried that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not be able to provide for us. Yeah. So how do you know, like, if they would well, you have to, you need to, I mean, one, you have to make du'a for it, that, you know, we shouldn't just make du'a that, oh, Allah, give me, you know, get me married to somebody who will bring me closer to you. That sounds great, but we should say with afia, with goodness. Afia covers everything, because sometimes your patience can be tested, and so you also come closer to Allah through that, right? So we make du'a that, you know, with afia, we help each other coming closer to you, um, and then we have to see the type of person they are by asking those that know them best. Because even, I mean, even if you're seeing each other every day, you don't, you don't really know each other. You can't know a person until you live with them, until you travel with them or do business with them, right? It's a fact, you know? You can, I mean, how many people, we grew up with them. Grew up with them. And then you find, you, they get married and you hear that they do all kinds of things you would never have expected. There was one person I knew, you know, grew up in the community whatnot, he got married, ended up getting divorced because, you know, he, he would say types, I mean, he would like compare his wife to other women and her beauty to other women, to her face, you know? And you're thinking like, man, I never would have expected that from this individual. But you grew up together, so you didn't really know them, you know? So we have to ask those people who do know them, you know? And when it comes to prioritizing in deen, a lot of people say that I want to come closer to Allah or I want somebody that's going to make me closer to Allah. But a lot, the majority of people don't mean it. Like, and to be blunt, it's just a lot of people, they don't mean it. They say it because it's the right thing to say. 
they'll say it to people like me because they think, oh, that'll make him happy. I'm not the one marrying you. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't care. You know? So we have to, we have to make ourselves like those people. Like if we want to get married to somebody who's going to make us better in religion, then we have to make ourselves better in religion. Otherwise, those individuals that would do it for us, that would help us along, they're not going to come to us. They're not going to consider us, right? But I also, I still feel like um, just because somebody is, like, if they're really good, like, religious, whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that they would make me better in that yeah. way because, like, people look at things in different ways yeah. and stuff and they're like, maybe, like, their fans are different, they're Muslim and, like, that's true. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, like... No, definitely. Especially nowadays, like, um, our parents' generation probably didn't understand it as much. I would say, you know, I want to marry a religious girl. To them, it was, so you want to marry a girl that, that, I mean, this girl prays five times a day, she fasts, she wears hijab. Okay, that's fine, but you want somebody that will, interp- that will have a similar approach and understanding to the religion, you know? That's also important. So, simply being religious outwardly, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean they are going to be right for you, right? So, that's why you have to figure out your priorities. Ask, what type of scholars do you take from, Right? Because if you're taking, you, you can figure out what type of background certain ulama come from, right? Some of them are more rigid, some of them are more soft and whatnot. You can get an idea of the type of person they are, depending on the type of scholars they're listening to, right? So having a similar, similar approach to deen, you know, nothing's going to be exactly the same, right? And then other things that are a priority, a priority to you in life, you know? Also personality. There's sometimes people have a lot of taqwa, they have a lot of... Uh, a, a great personality, very religious, but it just doesn't, the personality just doesn't mesh with you, you know? So those things are also consideration, and that's why we ask people who know them, you know? Ask people who know them, who knows, particularly if you can find somebody who knows both of you, you know? But, like, for me, it was, you know, I wanted to see somebody taking an active role in trying to make themselves better in religion, not just saying it, not just lip service, but actually an active role, and that's up to us to define what we feel that is, you know? And the biggest thing is we have to make du'a for it, we have to make du'a for it. Du'a is the, this is the weapon of the believer, you know. You make du'a for it and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you. So, so what is the evidence for uh, an Hanafi mother for uh, not requiring a wali for the marriage? <laughs> I think we should make maghrib now. <laughs> Inshallah, there's, there's an answer to the question, but okay. it's maghrib time. <laughs>